Welcome to The Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson. And before we get started, I want to ask a special favor of all of you. We have been recording our podcast now for over a year and a half. We are well into season two, and I want to learn more about who is listening to us. I can't thank you all enough for downloading and sharing. Um, This podcast is reaching far and wide across the globe, and now I want to know who's listening. So we have created a survey that you can follow the link in the show notes below or head over to healinggroundmovement.com. Fill out that survey. Tell us more about you, who you are, what you want to learn about, who you want on the podcast, special guest requests. We'd love to hear those. And as a thank you for taking the time to reach out, I am going to pick a random winner on July 4th to receive a gift bag of some of our favorite health and wellness products. So follow the link in the show notes below or head to the healinggroundmovement.com webpage and let us know who you are. In the meantime, today's episode, I am so excited to cover a um, not common, uh, commonly discussed, but very important aspect of mental health and particularly anxiety. And that is how what we eat impacts the way we feel. So Christina Vera is joining us all the way from Ontario, Canada. She is a registered psychotherapist and holistic nutritionist who owns her own wellness clinic called Fresh Insight. Her clinic's mission statement is to inspire hope, catalyze change, and foster a sense of personal empowerment. She works with individuals, couples, and families about a wide variety of concerns, including anxiety, depression, PTSD, trauma, infertility, and much, much more. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I always love talking about this topic, so it's a treat for me. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, it's kind of an interesting niche to have, um, to be a psychotherapist and a holistic nutritionist. I mean, that's two very different paths that are meeting in an incredibly important and impactful way. How did you end up here? Yeah, you know, I think it was a lot to do with just personal experience and passion. And so I was a competitive dancer growing up. I was always very, very active. I always ate pretty well. And I remember going to university and not dancing as many hours and noticing that I had a big change in my mood from that, just from not exercising as much. And that seemed to extend with my diet choices. So if I was ever eating foods that didn't really fuel me properly, or if I was eating a lot of junk or whatever it happened to be, I would feel it like emotionally and mentally. I would feel a little foggy. I would feel really exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so I just, for me, from experience thought there's a huge connection here. And I've always been passionate about these two topics. I've been passionate about nutrition and fitness and wellness. And I've been really passionate about why we are the way we are and why we think the way we think. Mm -hmm. And so rather than picking one, I thought, well, I mean, I could just do both. (laughs) And they seem to be connected in my mind. So that's sort of how I got here. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And and they really are. I mean, so the research and the education pans out. There are foods that help our mental health and our well-being, and there are foods that decidedly don't. Um, and I don't think anyone listening is going to be too terribly surprised as we start to delineate what is what. But could you kind of start walking us down that pathway of why what we eat matters to the way we feel? Absolutely. And you're, you're right that there actually is a lot of research to support this now. And one study that I found really fascinating, it was done in Iran and they did a study that said, okay, outs, if we account for uh, BMI, age, whether they smoke or not, health habits, even if we take that out of the picture, is there still a direct correlation between food and mood? And they found that there was. So even accounting for all of those variables. So it's it's interesting because sometimes we say like, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation and all these things, but this is a direct. <laughs> and so why that happens is pretty interesting. So one is because we need certain vitamins and minerals to support our brain's neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are chemical messengers that are in charge of helping our brain communicate, helping our brain communicate with our muscles and our nervous system and everything like that. And a lot of medications actually are about um, affecting those neurotransmitter levels. So specifically one that people listening might know of is serotonin. Mm-hmm. So serotonin is used in a lot of medications. You maybe have heard of SSRI. So those are serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And serotonin is this neurotransmitter that really helps you feel good. It helps with mood regulation, appetite, all sex drive, and a lot of functions like that. But if you aren't getting the right vitamins and minerals to create healthy neurotransmitters and support your neuron functioning, which mm-hmm. is which are those cells in your brain as well, then you're probably not going to feel very good. So on like an actual molecular level, it can really help your brain functioning in terms of neurotransmitters to eat properly. That would be one way. Because what it comes down to is you know, we have all of these pharmaceutical add-ins that, you know, the SSRIs inhibitors that interact yeah. with these endpoints, but none of us are actually suffering from an SSRI uh, deficiency. Right. It's really they're coming in to help manage the symptoms that come along with deficiencies that actually come from nutrients, um, micronutrients, minerals, all of these kind of things. We are, those are our building blocks. Right. And I, it's always like, I I sort of wish that this were more well-known because it would be great if we could sort of start here with people, Mm -hmm. because I certainly do think that there's a place for medication. And, you know, I I think some nutritionists are very anti-medication. I'm Mm -hmm. certainly not that way, but I do think that medications can come with side effects. They can, for some people cause weight gain, they can reduce libido, all -hmm. these different things. And so if you can do it naturally, and if you can do it just from things in your cupboard in your fridge, then wouldn't that be a great starting point so that you don't Mm -hmm. have to pay all this money and you don't have to risk having any of these side effects? Yeah, if it could be the last resort instead of the first intervention, there's, there's so much we can do to help manage um, what these symptoms are so that we can make other lifestyle changes. Because we do know that lifestyle changes in general about how we move, you mentioned your background with dancing, how we move, how we eat, how we engage with community, all of those things help with, um, we're going to focus on anxiety today, but help with depression, anxiety, stress, all of these aspects, but you have to have the bandwidth to do it. 
And before we dive into more about the mineral, um, the the different components that are so helpful, I think uh, you made one comment, and I think it's really worth dwelling here for a moment, about in um, in that study, they controlled for BMI, they controlled for obesity and being overweight. And it's a conversation I have in my office, not infrequently, where someone who does have a higher BMI, which there's a lot of um, argument as to whether this is a valid measurement of health anyway, but has a higher BMI and changes their diet, starts eating whole healthy foods, and all of a sudden their affect, their mood changes, uh, their joint pain changes, all of these things change, and it happens within a week. And they say, ah, I'm losing weight, I'm feeling better. But that's not actually the piece of it because, and I asked them, oh, did you lose a lot of weight over the course of one week? And I said, no, no, my weight's the same. So can we talk a little bit about why it's not actually the weight we carry, but more about how we got to the weight that we carry? Oh, absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point, which is I still believe we're quite stuck as a society, in Western society at least, where we judge people's health based on their physical appearance. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that you can be a little bit bigger looking by Western society standard, which mm-hmm. is probably isn't that big. And you can be an extremely healthy person, mm-hmm. right? And you can also be thin outwardly and look like you have this perfect Western body in quotation marks mm-hmm. and not be actually very healthy internally. Right. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of your weight, you have to make sure that you're just giving yourself the building blocks to have a good mental health. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's totally separate from your appearance. Absolutely. I think, I can't remember where the study was and just I'm kicking myself for it now. Um, but that you can be 10 to 20 pounds, quote unquote, overweight and be healthier than someone who is 10 pounds underweight. Because the discussion we should be having, and then we will continue having from here on out, is about are you uh, supported nutritionally or are you um, overweight and underfed by nutritional standards? Are you underweight and underfed in nutritional standards? You can be both and starved for nutrients. Yes. But you can also be slightly, quote unquote, again, overweight and not starved for nutrition for nutrients. And it's so true. And that's what we're actually seeing is that we have, you know, in Western culture, a better quality of life. We have more access to health related products or interventions that could be useful. Mm -hmm. Um, We have more tools than ever. And yet a lot of us are still very malnourished. Mm -hmm. So let's start talking about what how do we get malnourished? I mean, I'm, I'm eating food that I get on my grocery store. If it's on, if it's on the shelf, surely it's food and I should be good to go. Right. We would, we hope, right. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have these super clever marketing companies that make these seemingly healthy foods look healthy that are not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I will really educate people about is how to read a food label, because if there's one thing that also really affects mental health from a nutritional standpoint, it's sugar, specifically added sugar. Mm -hmm. And that's due to a number of reasons. So the first one is that when you're consuming a lot of added sugars, your blood sugar levels are going to be kind of going all over the place. And so you're going to have high blood sugar levels, and then they're going to dip really quickly. And that outwardly can actually appear as mood swings. Mm-hmm. And so somebody might think, oh, look, I'm so moody. I'm so anxious all the time when really it's like, well, you just might be having some unstable blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. So that one. And then the second is that 
sugar can, can create inflammation in the body and inflammation has like chronic low grade inflammation has been linked to a plethora of mental health issues or cognitive issues from, you know, anxiety, depression, Alzheimer's disease, so many different things. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how sugar will impact us. But if you start paying attention to what actually has sugar and how to read a food label, you'd be amazed because you might look at things like granola or cereal or flavored yogurt. And the recommended amount for women is six teaspoons a day total of added sugar. And for men, it's nine teaspoons a day. And sometimes you can have a drink from Starbucks, for example, with your lunch, that's going to put you double over the amount and you had no idea. Because yeah. I start to imagine these cups. I see someone walking with a frappuccino or something, and I just imagine sugar packets filling the whole thing. It's tablespoons and tablespoons. Um, and, and when you talk about reading a label, um, it's not as clear as just, you know, pulling up the label and saying, ah, I don't see sugar written here, is it? Oh, no. And that's such a good point. I mean, what's frustrating is that some very few companies have started to do this, but few divide between added sugar and natural sugar. So that's one thing. But there's also over 50 names of sugar. And so it's so sneaky because if you use eight different types of sugar, well, you might actually not read, somebody might not read that as sugar. It's some weird chemical sounding name and they're just going to kind of forget about it. But you might say, oh, actually that's eight different types of sugar that are making up about 60% of this product. <laughs> right. And I think that's something that's really heartbreaking for me is when I see people with really good intentions, they're trying their best to eat clean and healthy and they're they're really working hard on it. And they're, mm -hmm. it's just that we don't have conversations like this enough for them to know that this isn't a healthy decision. Yeah, the, the whole system of how and where we buy our food, if we're buying anything that is pre-made, um, it's it's really set up. I imagine, you know, the the 10 foot wall that you have to haul yourself over to get through any kind of basic training camp. We, ha we have to learn and know the techniques to get over that wall of getting around the sugar that is so prevalent in all of our, all of our prepared foods. And you know, what's interesting as well is that I think people might not realize is that a lot of savory items also mm -hmm. have a lot of sugar. And so, you know, I read this fascinating article recently that was saying that our taste buds have kind of acclimatized to everything just being a little bit sweeter because mm -hmm. before we would make tomato sauce from scratch or whatever it happened to be. Now we're buying all of these things that are pre-prepared that have this added sugar. And so we're just sort of adjusting our taste buds to think that everything should be sweet. Yeah. And so we lose the fact of like, oh no, that's not supposed to be that sweet. That doesn't need any sugar, that salad dressing or that tomato sauce or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can really get around that when you make from scratch from home. But again, now that's a, a different layer of effort and, and that you have to create and get all of those pieces as well. Um, so, so all of the, the kind of hows about it aside, so we've talked about sugar creating these rise and falls of, of your uh, blood sugar levels, this manic kind of hyperactivity, and then the crash that comes after that. You know, And I think when we see it in children, when they have like a cupcake or something from a birthday party and they get a sugar high, we really recognize, ah, my four-year-old is having a sugar high right now and they're going to crash and they are going to just be so much fun to parent for the rest of the night because as the, it's that crabby, crabby crash, um, speaking from experience. But when, we, when it's ourselves, I don't think we have that same kind of reflective understanding of what is happening. Can you take us through a little bit more step-by-step -step why consistent blood sugar is actually an important thing? 
Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think that's very true is that sometimes I wonder if people's set point is actually maybe a bit skewed because sometimes if you're so used to eating a lot of processed foods and a lot of sugar, you might not realize that it's actually not normal for you to be feeling super tired all the time or have no energy. Mm -hmm. But back to the question of blood sugar levels, we want to make sure that we're keeping them stable. And there's a few ways that we can do that. One is to make sure that you're not just having meals or snacks that are only carbohydrates. Cause I think a lot of us do that. We have a bagel or we have a muffin or something, which is likely to have a lot of added sugars in it. And if we add some good lean protein to that, if we add some nice healthy fats to the mix, and that's going to overall just slow that rate of absorption into our bloodstream and our cells, that's going to help stabilize things. So that's one way. And also Sometimes, especially in this working from home situation, I think a lot of people are just skipping their meals. And so Mm -hmm. they're just forgetting to eat. And then by the time the evening comes, they're famished. Blood sugar levels are super low. And then they just binge on whatever is convenient and accessible. And then they're going to have that huge, sharp spike and fall, right? And so, you know, I've even gone so far as to tell people to just set a timer to remind yourself to eat, you know, which is so sad to say out loud. But especially in this working from home environment, or if you're just like garbling down your food in front of your computer, that's also not really the best environment for digestion and mm-hmm. anything like that, right? Yeah, all of our signals of hunger and satiety are actually really, really subtle. And so if we are deep into a spreadsheet or got to get something done, it's really easy to ignore them. And eventually, you know, the body will give up trying to signal you until you're crashed. And so for so many of us, that sugar crash becomes our hunger signal when we really miss the more subtle nudge about four hours ago. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's tough too, because when we're eating these foods that are not very nutrient dense, we're not going to be very full actually, because we haven't really given ourselves anything to use. Right. And so what a lot of us are eating are these calorie dense, nutrient poor foods. So there's tons of calories, not many nutrients. And that sucks because you're getting a really poor return on investment, (laughs) you know, all this huge caloric punch, and then you're going to be hungry in 10 minutes because you didn't get anything that your body could actually use as fuel. Right. And that brings us back around to, you know, it ends up the size of your body may end up becoming a symptom of all of this high calorie, high sugar diet that you're eating. But the problem is not the symptom of your size. It is that you have not been giving yourself the nutrients that you need. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. So, okay. So sugar and um, blood sugar spikes and crash and other things that hinder our mental health that are available on the grocery store. So they have found as well that there are specific nutrients that are especially deficient in people with anxiety disorders. So first one that comes to mind is omega-3 fatty acids. So DHA is a type of omega-3 fatty acid that's the most dominant in your brain. But the problem with that and omega-3s is that you can't make them yourself. You actually have to get them from food. Mm-hmm. So sources of omega-3s are usually uh, fish, so salmon, mackerel, sardines, things like that. There are plant-based sources as well. So walnuts, flax seeds, hemp seeds, flaxseed oils, Um But when the industrial revolution happened, we started making these vegetable oils really easily and cheaply. And those are really packed with Mm omega-6s. And that's not to say that omega-6s are bad, but previously, like thousands of years ago, our ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 was probably about one to one. And now we're finding that that ratio is about 17 to one of omega-6 to Mm omega-3. And when you're that out of balance, that's when you can actually experience inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so- 
just being mindful of how much vegetable oil you're consuming. And that can be found in a lot of prepackaged foods or baked goods, things like that. And trying to incorporate more fish if you can. Um, if you're a vegetarian, again, some of those plant-based sources. And usually when it comes to omega-3, that's what that's where I'll encourage a supplement because it's just good to make sure that you're taking it consistently and your body's getting those nutrients. Mm-hmm. So that's omega-3 is something that people are usually particularly deficient in if there's anxiety. And another is B vitamins. Mm-hmm. Um, B vitamins really help gonna, nurture the, yeah. Yeah. I was going to, before we get to B vitamins, I do just want to linger a little bit more on the omega-3 versus omega-6, because I think it's worth pointing out as well that with the omega-6, like you said, it's not a bad thing. We do need that omega-6. Um, but when we have too much of it, the point of omega-6 is to feed our, our cortisol into health and up, up, up. But if we have halfway instead of also health one, um, and see if there was anything more to add about that use of six, but also the overuse of, of omega-6. Yeah, totally. And it's it's not to say, like you said, is don't go to a mindset, anybody listening, of no omega-6s ever, because it's an important fatty acid, but just being mindful of balance. And I think that's actually um, something I apply to basically everything, even when it comes to food in general, is we don't want to go to any extreme diets or extreme changes. We want to make sure that we just have balance and moderation is my motto. I love it. All right. So sorry for interrupting because you are getting on to my favorite vitamin. If you can have a favorite vitamin, <laughs> come on with yep. me. Whatever, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. So B vitamins, um, which are just really important for our nervous system. And so those are also shown to be quite deficient in people with anxiety. And so those are primarily also found from animal sources when you're going to food-based things. So that would be in eggs, poultry, some dairy products. So again, if you are vegan or vegetarian, you are very likely to be deficient, especially in B12. So regardless of whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, or a meat eater, If you're really looking for some natural interventions, I would also say a supplement with a B-complex is a great idea. And it's a Mm water-soluble vitamin. So if you end up taking a little bit too much, you're just going to end up peeing it out, which is something to know that if you take a B-complex, your urine is going to be like highlighter yellow. So know that so you don't get scared. (laughs) But yeah, it's true. And any thoughts about methylated or versus not methylated bees? Um, not particularly for me, but I don't know if you have any thoughts because this is your favorite vitamin. So I should maybe ask you about B vitamins. So because it's, it's a personal favorite because for me, it did end up making dramatic shifts in both my anxiety and depression symptoms. Um, there are uh, genetic um, mutations and one that MTHFR is becoming a very popular one to be researched in studies these days. And within that, you can have a specific mutation where we can't methylate our B, which may, it basically means within our body, we go it goes through a chemical process to change it to being useful. So you can take the bee and then it's not useful. So, um, you know, I, I was eating a lot of the animal sources of B vitamins, but I was unable to make it useful. And so switching to a methylated bee uh, made all the difference in the world and oh, is a me. light switch for me. Oh, that's great. That's great to know. And I'm, and I'm happy to hear about that. And, you know, I actually think you uh, bring up a good point is that when it comes to 
using nutrition to support anything really, it's also important to make sure that somebody's digestion is optimal as well as a starting point, because sometimes people can be eating all the right things as well. But Mm -hmm. if their digestive system is not functioning optimally, it's not like you said, it might not be broken down or assimilated properly into the body. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you might start with things like digestive enzymes, for example. So those are just supplements that you take that contain enzymes that help you break down carbohydrates, proteins, and fats just much more efficiently. And you just start with that for a little bit and you kind Mm -hmm. of clean up your diet as a starting place that can help with digestion overall. So that when you start to continue on this healthier path, you're going to be using those nutrients. I love it. And we'll post for all of our listeners. We had an in-depth conversation with Dr. Um, Kirsten Lawrence about a year ago about detoxing and setting up your digestion. So if anyone feels like, yes, yes, omega-3s got it, B12 on my list, but I'm still not getting the returns I want, um, look for that this coming Friday. We'll post the link um, so that you can dive deeper into healing your digestive system because you are absolutely right. If you're not absorbing and you're not processing, you can eat all the best food in the world and you'll just have the very best um, excrement in the world. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, totally. So, okay, so we've got our omegas, we got our Bs. What else should we be looking for? So another thing we would want is to make sure we're getting enough antioxidants because usually if there's somebody who's been eating a lot of processed foods or trans fats or whatever it happens to be, there can be a lot of uh, reactive oxygenated species in the body. So this Mm -hmm. is when you have these unstable molecules, we'll just put it really simply, that when those build up, they can start to damage your healthier cells. And so Mm -hmm. that's why we want antioxidants, because those are kind of the friends that can help us out in those situations. Mm -hmm. So honestly, the best source of antioxidants is fruits and veggies. And I like to encourage people to just try to get as many colors of the rainbow as you can in the day. And that's the really simple way to Mm -hmm. do it. So if you have some green spinach, use some red onion and some orange carrots in your salad and just be mindful of that. And it's also good because veggies and fruits, but particularly like leafy greens and things like that, those are some nutrient dense calorie poor foods. So you eat smaller amount, you're going to feel a lot fuller. So it's good just for um, watching your portion sizes, feeling really satisfied after you eat versus what we were talking about before, which is you're eating a lot of calories, you're not getting any nutrients, right? Well, and that's what so many of our diets and um, you know lifestyle suggestions are really geared around is it's the two thousand calorie diet or it's you know this name brand or that that circuit that circles around calorie consumption or fat consumption and those are our macronutrients well calorie isn't a nutrient but it's a measurement but the macronutrients and it's a little bit misleading to think that we should center our diet around the caloric number or the macronutrients because we're not talking about the building blocks there again. Right. Totally. So when it comes to these building blocks, are all of these suggestions, you know, we talked about the omega-3s and the B vitamins and the antioxidants, they all play a slightly different role within our system and regulation, correct? Yes. Right. And, And so how does that balance ultimately turn into mental health when we, when we get our diet kind of going in that direction? I want to make sure I understand your question because I don't know if I did. I'm so sorry. 
So, oh, that's all right. So, so why we talked a little bit more about this with omega threes, like, you know, omega threes are the anti-inflammatory and they're a big component in, um, the nutrients we need for our brain, for all that central nervous system goodness. Um, why does it matter that we have B12 or antioxidants? Okay. So things don't get oxidized in my body. What does that have to do with my mental health? Right. So when it comes to uh, antioxidants for that, that's overall, we're reducing inflammation. Mm -hmm. So again, when we have inflammatory conditions that, I mean, it all comes together, right? Like somebody with joint problems as well is probably dealing with inflammation. Somebody with gut health issues is probably dealing with inflammation, but that's an area. So we're reducing inflammation overall, which will help our mental health. We know that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for the B vitamins, those are what support our nervous system. And our nervous system is your brain and spinal cord and all of that stuff that's communicating to your mind muscles communicating in your brain. So again, we want to make sure that we're nourishing that and we're giving it the food that it needs essentially. Beautiful. Yeah. And most all of it is, and we talk about inflammation, it really is sort of a buildup of trash in your system when it comes down to a little bit of the best definition I've heard of it. It's like a little bit of trash around the house. It's necessary. It's the byproduct of change. It's the byproduct of cooking. It's the byproduct of everything. And the same thing happens within our body, even um, creating a long-term memory within, you know, the, the different centers of our brain creates a little inflammation. We have to have that to process but then we want to take out the trash. And if we have widespread inflammation in our body and we don't have omega-3s and we don't have B vitamins, we don't have antioxidants, it's basically our entire waste disposal system going on strike. And you just get more and more built up in this gunk. Totally. Speaking of gunk, that reminds me (laughs) of another uh, area that's important to talk about, which is gut health. I love it. Go on. So when we, when I'm talking about our gut health, mainly I'm talking about small intestine, large intestine, and colon. And gunk, what made me think of it was all the bacteria that we have in that uh, in our gut, right? And so we have about, I think, 3.3 pounds on average of bacteria in our gut, which sounds disgusting. But the good news is that some of these bacteria are actually really wonderful. And when they do certain reactions in our gut, then they have really beneficial byproducts. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research that's showing that certain strains of bacteria in the gut can help with mood regulation. So specifically, um, lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, which I, I always say sound like Harry Potter spells, but um, those two, when somebody has enough of those strains, those, when they have um, reactions and they break down other Uh, products in the body, specifically glutamate, the byproduct of that is something called GABA and that G-A-B-A. And that is a neurotransmitter that really helps with um, reducing anxiety. It's called an inhibitory um, Mm -hmm. neurotransmitter, which means that it sort of inhibits activity. So when it comes to anxiety, GABA is another one that can be really, really helpful. Um, Some people use that in supplementation, but again, usually supporting our gut health through a number of measures can be a really, really good starting place. We have a lot of symbiotic systems that all really need to come into balance. And that includes, you know, the little buggies that are living inside of us. I mean, we are more, we are more bacteria and virus than we are human when it comes to cell for cell and punch for punch. So 
it makes sense that that would have a lot to do with either we have the creation of GABA or we have other strains. I mean, we can have SIBO, the, the overgrowth of the small intestinal bacteria that have found its way into our colon. So instead of having, you know, these great bacteria that create GABA, we have bacteria that are instead continuing to break down food further and further um, because that was its job in the small intestine and colon, we're, we're done with that, but it's continuing to go on. And so instead of GABA, we get more inflammation. And so it is this kind of moderation dance of how do we find balance within the system? Yes, exactly. And it, and it comes full circle because we were talking about sugar, for example, as being something that can affect your blood sugar levels, but sugar is usually food for that bad bacteria to proliferate, right? And yeah. so what, when you start to reduce your sugar intake or just eliminate it altogether, then you're kind of starving those bad bacteria cells, which is good mm -hmm. news, right? So it all, like you said, it's all very interconnected, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, and it does make it a little bit more difficult. So when we come back to, you know, the start of the conversation and we talk about what should be our first line of defense, and we would always love to see that be lifestyle changes, using food as medicine, um, in supplementation and the absence of food, movement, dance, community, all of these things, but it does get to be pretty complicated. There isn't a silver bullet. And I think really commonly we think that, you know, taking that SSRI is a more direct hit and more direct silver bullet, but it doesn't change the health and quality of the system. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I agree with you that there is definitely a time and a place for pharmaceuticals. Um, we're not anti anything here, but it is worth the effort to get to know yourself and get to know what your body is needing and looking for, for more sustainable health over the long term. Because, you know, inflammation from lack of omega-3s is not going to be fixed with an SSRI and it will show up in other places in your health as well. Totally. And, you know, I think all of these things are part of a more holistic picture, right? So you mm -hmm. can have, maybe you do take an SSRI or something, but we even know from research that if you couple that with talk therapy, then that's going to be the most effective. And then if we mm -hmm. go one step even further of coupling that with some good nutritional choices, you just can't go wrong with that, right? Like there's, there's really no risk of doing those things. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm trying to think, I've been hearing study after study these days that if you couple any um, medical intervention, traditional Western medical intervention, either surgical or pharmaceutical, if you couple that with um, a healthy, healthy lifestyle choices, movement, or a healthy, whole, whole well-balanced diet, it increases the efficacy of whatever you're doing by, you know, it, it varies place to place. But even um, the most recent one I was reading about was the flu vaccine. It was a study done among um, nurses. And so that's a whole population who's received the vaccine. And some of them were given health and lifestyle changes, including exercise and dietary um, changes. And their uh, response to the flu vaccine increased um, quickly over the course of a week against those who didn't make those. So it's, you know, all of this is we are putting these interventions onto the container of our body and how healthy is our container and how well will it respond to intervention? Well, we can control all of that with lifestyle changes. Oh, that was so beautifully said. I love that idea of our body being the container for all these things. So true. Yeah. 
Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about the different types of foods, we, we mentioned a little bit specific supplementation and ways that that's probably where you want to turn to. I mean, we love the idea of using whole foods first, but if you do have a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle, it's going to, the majority of those do show up in animal products, animal sources. What are other places that we might want to think about using supplementation to help support the lifestyle changes as we're attempting to make them or even, you know, once we're on our, once we're on a roll? Yes. So I usually actually recommend for a lot of people to do a good whole food based multivitamin. And I think that's because a lot of our soil is a lot less um, nutritious than it used to be. Just a lot of things have kind of been watered down for lack of a better word. And so we might just, it's actually really hard for any of us to have solid nutritional profiles these days in terms of vitamins and minerals. So a good whole food multivitamin is usually a good place to start. Um, like I said, the fish oil, if you are a vegan or a vegetarian, you can actually get some, um, supplements that are really high on omega-3s because they have algae in them. And so that's a good plant-based source of that. Mm -hmm. In terms of other supplements, so I am always drawn to research. And so there's a few that have actually been researched of, okay, we did see an improvement in anxiety. Mm -hmm. One is called St. John's wort. So it is a yellow flower and they just extract some stuff from the flower. And you can take that in a variety of forms, but one that's quite helpful for people is um, there's some that you can spray under your tongue. So it's pretty mm -hmm. fast acting. So you might consider doing that at night before you go to sleep, because that's another thing I should mention. It's not a food, but sleep is really, really important for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the why of that, the prefrontal cortex, which is right kind of like where your forehead would be, I suppose, but underneath it, um, <laughs> that's the part of our brain that's more in charge of rational thought and imagination and being able to think things through in this more logical way. And when we are in a sleep deprived state, that part of our brain actually has less activity and the regions of our brain that are in charge of intense emotions and things like that, that's more likely to be active. So if you take somebody who's already a little bit naturally anxious and you make them sleep deprived, that's a perfect storm of a really crappy day for them, right? So mm -hmm. making sure that you're getting sufficient sleep is super important. So um, we've talked about using some St. John's wort or something like that. Another thing to be mindful of though is caffeine. And mm -hmm. if you're somebody who has anxiety, there's been some research that shows that you're more likely to be sensitive to caffeine. So that's just something to be mindful of for people listening as well. And the caffeine itself then, depending on how late you're drinking it in the day, I think the half-life of caffeine in your system is about 14 hours. And so you can be drinking caffeine even at one o'clock in the afternoon and still have a full dose of it in your body as you're trying to go to sleep at nine, 10, and even 12 o'clock at night. So thinking about when, when you're taking that last cup of, of jolt would be something to keep in mind for your sleep health. Yeah, totally. So I went on a bit of an aside note there, but it was just something that I thought was maybe important. Um, and then in terms of other supplements, um, sometimes people find taking magnesium very helpful mm -hmm. and you can take magnesium in a lot of different forms. You can take it in a powdered form in certain drinks, but there's another way that you can incorporate magnesium, which is through Epsom salt baths. And that serves like a dual function in my mind where you're kind of relaxing from the hot water. You have your Epsom salts and the magnesium helps to just relax your muscles and mm -hmm. calm you down. And a lot of people with anxiety report physical symptoms of lots of tension or restlessness 
nervous or aches and things like that. So that can be a bit of a double whammy in a helpful way for you if you're dealing with anxiety. And magnesium is just such a crucial nutrient. And another one, like you mentioned before, in the absence of practices like regenerative farming that puts nutrients back in the soil, you know, our food has becoming so and so depleted. And uh, magnesium is one of those nutrients. Uh, it's in our leafy greens, which is not a popular food choice among, um, you know, the Western culture. And on top of that, there's less. So we've actually found, at least in the United States, that anywhere I've read from 80 to 90% of Americans are deficient in magnesium and it plays such a crucial role in joint, muscle, nerve health, gut health, brain health. Um, And one thing I always like to share around magnesium is you brought up the reactive oxygen um, species, the the oxides is a really uh, common and cheap form of magnesium is magnesium oxide. And that is magnesium that has already been oxidized, has already been rusted and turned to rocks. It's not going to do anything for you. (laughs) Right, 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 right. It's a good note too about uh, making sure that your supplements are coming from good sources too, right? Yeah. And we, when we look at supplements, there's not a whole lot of oversight on the whole industry. So we can have kind of anything with any sort of fillers on our grocery shelves, including commonly I use as an example, that magnesium oxide. So I, just as we talk about reading labels to know the 50 different names for sugar, understanding what type of magnesium you're getting. And if you're spending your money on the cheaper supplement full of oxide, it's going to be rushing right on through you. And I do mean that quite literally, um, versus having a form of magnesium that your body can actually absorb and do something with. So that's where it's always nice to talk to a knowledgeable provider like yourself and find out what is it that my body specifically needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm thinking as well, when we're on the topic of supplements is um, probiotic supplements can be great too. Mm -hmm. But I would say that those are a good thing to add when your diet has already been a little bit cleaned up. Um, Mm -hmm. So start there and then go to a um, supplement with probiotics that has various strains and that can also just help nurture your gut health. Love it. So we're getting the system set from top to bottom. Yes, exactly. So as we kind of wrap our way around here, we talked a lot about, you know, the different types of foods that can hinder our mental health, the building blocks that we need to find to help support our mental health, spoke a little bit about sleep as other lifestyle changes that can help. Uh, Once we start to feel our energy come up a little bit, maybe because we're not going through the sugar crash, we're eating more regularly, what are other things that we could look at to do to support mental health just through our lifestyle? Oh, it's a great question. And it's important as well. And the first thing that comes to my mind, and this has nothing to do with food or nutrition, but something that I've heard so much about from people I work with is um, phone use and anxiety. And that can be for a number of reasons. For some people, it's that they're just mindlessly scrolling and there's nothing really fulfilling that comes from that practice. And so after about an hour or two, they're like, I have done absolutely nothing with that time. It didn't give me anything back for the time that I put into it. 
So it just sort of feels like they've wasted this time. For other people, it can be really problematic for them because they start engaging in this negative comparison with other people. They start getting really down on themselves. Um, there is quite a relationship between social, social media usage and anxiety and depression. And usually when we're on social media, we're comparing upwardly. Like we're not comparing to the people who we think that maybe are going through a harder time than we are. We're comparing to the people who are in our minds are doing the best and have the best life and are richer than us and skinnier than us and whatever it happens to be. And it, you can see some amazing results by just asking people to limit their phone usage, especially I'm thinking as well in the COVID age where there's news pop news always around us that's extremely negative mm -hmm. being mindful of your news consumption there like something I've started to do is just subscribing to this service that gives me the headlines in my email every day and that's about it mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of like the bare bones here's what's going on in the world there aren't any of these heartbreaking videos there aren't any of these really difficult interviews to read about or anything so I'm informed but I'm also sort of protecting myself Mm -hmm. So first thing that comes to mind for me with lifestyle is phone usage being a big one. I love that. And I like that idea of being informed. I, I've given up. I'm on a news fast for, I think I'm going on 15 years now, that you do get the headlines without being tuned into your favorite news channel 24-7. And there was a small piece that you put in there that I think is really important to think about. It's the heart-wrenching stories. And it's not about being callous of saying, oh my gosh, this happened and I should really be invested in it. It's that typically when we hear those stories, the one-off stories of, from the hospital worker, this, that, and the other, these aren't people that are part of our community. There's nothing, our direct community. We are a global community. That's, that's a whole nother thing. But part of our direct immediate community, those are stories that aren't happening in any sort of form. We can't drop a casserole. We can't or cats it or whatever. It is just that's all there is to it. We want to have that emotional capacity for when, you know, hopefully not, but life does come at us hard sometimes when those kinds of stories happen in our community. And then there's actually something we can do about it. We can be productive with it, which is another way that we get to process and close that stress cycle. We are giving and enacting in community. If we're taking out the trash, we're taking out that inflammatory piece. The emotional hit and run on social media is only that, and you're left to deal with that stress cycle on your own. So it's not so much to be callous and shut off, but to, to put that caring where it counts. It's, it's really, really well said. And you were just talking about community and it made me think of this amazing study, which I believe comes from the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which is one of my faves if you're into sociology or psychology. And there was this study where they found that there was a lot of heart disease happening in the United States, but there was this tiny little community that was not. And so they thought, okay, maybe it's a diet thing. No, these people were eating bacon every day. They were not eating very well. So they thought, okay, what the heck is going on here? And they ended up finding that this community had phenomenal social supports and they were really, really tied to one another. They had, you know, bingo nights. It was a very cohesive and lovely group of people that really felt like their other peers had their back. Mm -hmm. And so it was just talking about the role of relationship in mental health. And I think that's really difficult during COVID, but not impossible. And so, you know, this is a time where we're being called to adapt. And so finding a way to somehow stay connected to some community for you is really, really going to make a big difference. And I also tell people that sometimes, and this might sound odd to some people, some people feel a sense of connectedness um, through things that don't have to do with people. So when 
when they're going for a walk in nature, they feel really connected to the universe or the world around them, or when they are listening to music or when they are playing with animals or something like that, they feel that relational connection. And so it doesn't have to be through people if you don't want it to be. But so long as you are feeling supported by what you are surrounding yourself with. That's such a great thing to point out because I think there's a lot of, um, well, I'm, I'm a bit of an antisocial introvert myself when it comes down to it, whereas, you know, I'm, I don't miss going out and being among crowds, but I do miss taking a walk in the woods with that one person that really matters or, or by myself. Um, it's, it's how do we support and refuel ourselves? Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Any other things that come to mind? Uh, I think another good one was, is that we've touched a little bit on is movement and it doesn't have to be any type. I always say, pick something that you enjoy. If you are able to move your body and if you're able to just get some blood flow and not be sitting all day long, you're getting a break from your screen. You're also just going to be giving yourself hopefully a nice endorphin rush, whatever it happens to be. Um, so just any movement is good. Even if it's just, I'm going to go for a quick walk around the block. Even if it's, I'm just going to stretch for a little bit, find something that works for you. Um, Mm -hmm. and with anxiety, it can also be really helpful to exercise because a lot of people with anxiety have all this pent up energy and tension, And when there's no way to release it, it can just kind of accumulate, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you can actually just go for a little bit of a run, if that works, just as a way of getting some of that out, it can be really, really therapeutic. That's fantastic. I love it. And so what we're coming back to is there's, there's not really anything new under the sun here. It's getting back to the basics. It's get a good night's sleep, fuel yourself with nutrients that matter, Stay within the community that you can touch, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, um, and move. And that in and of itself can knock down so many symptoms of stress, anxiety, depression. And of course, if you still need support after that, there's uh, you know, a litany of interventions and providers who are delighted to be there for you. But we have so much more in our control than I think we're really told or given credit for. Yes. And you bring up a good point, which is that don't overcomplicate things for yourself because I think there's so much information out there about nutrition and all these different diets, but honest to God, when we look at the timeline of health, it's exactly like you said, we know that, you know, eating real whole foods is good. Moving is good. There are certain nutrients that help. So just don't, you know, stress yourself out. If you're listening to this, it's, it's always been move, eat clean, fine, you know? That's the simple things that are the hardest because we want to make them more complicated. (laughs) Right. That is true. Oh my gosh. Well, Christina, (laughs) thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us today and sharing all of these amazing um, directions and uh, kind of eye-opening realizations about health and and mental health, that it really is something that can be within our reach with that sort of effort. Um, Where can people find you and learn more from you? Yeah. So you can check out my website. I publish a blog, uh, usually weekly if I can do it, but that is uh, fresh-insight.ca <laughs> is my website. You'll find my blog there. And then I'm also on Instagram at Fresh Insight Health. And then Facebook page is the same at Fresh Insight Health. Awesome. Well, check it out. We'll have all those links in the show notes so that you can uh, learn more from Christina Biro. Um, I so appreciate you joining us. This is such an important topic um, and such an accessible thing for so many people. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. So happy. (laughs) And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today and joining in the movement. We'll see you next time for a fresh new episode. Be well. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.